I invite you to turn with me and your copy of God's Word uh, to our scripture reading this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles in the rack in front of you, uh, you can find this on page 812. Uh, Sometimes uh, you come faithfully bringing your own Bibles. Sometimes you forget your Bibles. And so we have them in the pew rack in front of you. Sometimes we have visitors that don't even have Bibles. And so we would love for you, if that's you, to take one of those blue Bibles home with you. We have plenty. We know where to get more. Uh, Take one with you uh, and read it at home this week. Uh, You can find our text in that pew Bible on page 812. Uh, We will be reading verses 7 to 11 of Matthew chapter 7 as we continue in our study through Matthew's gospel and more particularly uh, here in this section on the Sermon Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7 beginning in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stand forever. Would you join me again in prayer? Our Father, we have prayed much already this morning. We have rejoiced much in how you hear and answer our prayers. As we come to this wonderful text today, we ask that you would even more encourage our doubting hearts to come to you, our Father in heaven, in prayer, to direct our thoughts and our attention to the assurances that your Son gives us in these words, that you hear us And you love to give us good gifts. Lord, speak to us through your spirits. We pray now for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old cell phone commercial that some of you will remember in which uh, a man walks across the screen and into his phone. He keeps asking over and over again, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I don't even remember which phone company that was for. But every scene, he's somewhere else. He's somewhere strange and new and remote. And he asks in his phone, can you hear me now? And the answer is always yes. It's an advertisement for a phone plan that always connects you to the people you want to be connected with. That commercial didn't mean all that much to me until I moved to these mountains and realized, (laughs) oh, it's really true. Uh, If I don't hear the person on the other line talk in about a minute, I'll stop mid-sentence and say, can you hear me now? Are you there? Those mountains play tricks on our cell phone reception. You all know those dead spots that you go to in town. There's a Ingalls near our house that my phone works in the front of the store, but not in the back of the store. Uh, so if I need to call my wife to remind me what I was supposed to pick up, I have to go to the front of the store uh, to use my phone. We have these dead zones where we wonder, is our call going through? Are we actually being heard? Is the person we want to talk to receiving our voice on the other line. Now that's a nuisance when it comes to our cell phones. But many of us have a greater, or a deeper, I should say, doubt. And that is, does God actually hear us? Does God hear our calls? Does God hear my prayers? Does God receive the requests 
that I bring to him so that we can maybe end our prayers with the question, can you hear me now? Are you still there to hear my prayers? When does that happen? Well, that usually happens when it feels like our prayers aren't being answered, right? They're not happening as quick as we want them to happen. We're not getting the things that we think we need to get. We're not seeing God's hand at work in our lives, in our church's lives, in our nation's life as we wish it would work. And so we wonder, does God really hear our prayers? And so to a doubting people, Jesus comes to assure us and to reassure us with the simplest of truths that God does hear our prayers. And the reason he hears our prayers is because he is our father. Here's Jesus's message to us this morning. That he assures us that God hears our prayers because he is our father. We've seen before in this gospel that the the heart of Christian prayer is the relationship of a father to a child. It's not a formula of certain words. Right? It's not praying with big, loud voice outside versus praying alone in your prayer closet. Rather, the heart of Christian prayer is the relationship between a father and a child. And if you think about a relationship between a father and a child, we might say that sort of each, side's, each side brings something to the relationship. In a very simple way here, the child asks and the father gives. What I want to do this morning is to look at each side of the relationship, each part of this relationship of prayer between God the Father and his children. We're going to see what each side brings. Number one, we're going to see our part. What do we bring? Well, we bring simple prayers. We bring simple prayers. What does God bring? What is God's part in this relationship? God brings to prayer secure promises. We bring simple prayers. God brings secure promises. Promises. I want to show you both of those this morning and why what God brings causes us to continue to bring our simple prayers. So look first at our part. What do we bring to the relationship? Uh, it's very simple. We bring the asking part. We bring the seeking part. We bring the knocking part of the relationship. We bring to prayer simple prayers. Now, the main idea, the main word here in our section is the first word, in English at least, is the word ask. There's three verbs here used to describe uh, the act of prayer. Ask is the main verb. And then these other two, seek and knock, uh, sort of help us to, to understand what it means to ask. That we might even describe them as metaphors for prayer. The word ask appears five times in these few verses. And so we know that's where we start. Not only is it first, it's also last. It is the word that gives shape to the prayers that we bring to God as his people. Now, this may seem obvious, but what does it mean to ask God for something? Well, it is a simple and sincere request. It is a simple and sincere request. Jesus has already shown us the bad ways of asking, the wrong ways of asking. You'll remember back at the beginning of chapter 6, he tells us this in verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be 
seen by others. That's the opposite of sincere prayer, isn't it? That is self-seeking prayer. That is selfish prayer. You've probably been in a conversation before in a room with other people, and it dawns on you that the person who's talking to you is actually talking for somebody else, all right? They're trying to impress somebody else. They're trying to get the attention of somebody else. And you realize, this person doesn't care about me. This person's not actually talking to me. They're standing there using words directed to me, but those words are entirely selfish for their own alternative purposes. And what's crazy as it sounds is that we can do that in our very prayers. We can pray to God, but have ulterior self-seeking motives getting the attention and applause from others. Jesus points out a second way in which we can fail to ask. And that is a couple verses later in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. He says here, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. That's not how a child plays to a parent. That's how somebody asks or tries to manipulate somebody else. This is, again, self-seeking prayer. You see, we can take something as simple and as direct as asking God for something, and we can turn it on its head so that we are seeking to manipulate God or seeking our own ends or our own glory. And the, the beauty of this command comes in its simplicity. You see how simple and personal it is. Just Ask me, right? And if your kid was trying to ask you for something, instead they went to your neighbor's house and loudly told your neighbor's dad what they wanted from you, that would be bizarre, wouldn't it? Or if they just bombarded you over and over again with these empty phrases, and you said, I'm your dad, just ask me. Here's what Jesus is telling us, how to approach our father in this simple prayer. This simple asking him. It's so obvious, but it's so missed by us. The simple act of asking our Father for what we need. Jesus goes on to explain this simple prayer uh, by adding another verb, the verb to seek. Ask and it will be given to you. The second one there in verse 7. Seek and you will find. To seek something is to try to get something, right? to try to obtain something. Kids, you can think of playing hide and seek. What are you doing when you're seeking? You're trying to find, right? You are going after to obtain, to get, to catch the person who is hiding. So there's a sense in this verb of going after. But we also have seen so far in Scripture that to seek, it reflects an, an internal desire of our hearts. We saw in a few weeks ago the sermon Uh, on uh, not being anxious. We saw this command from Jesus, verse 32 of chapter 6, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. These things, there are worldly possessions and worldly things. In verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. You see this desire that goes along with our prayers. The implication, what this means for us, is that our prayers have a level of consistency, right? It, it would be inconsistent for us to seek and desire in all of our lives for stuff for me. 
for selfishness, for seeking after the things of the world, and then in my prayer life, somehow magically switch and ask for something entirely different. The idea of praying as seeking is that not only the words we use in those few moments of prayer throughout our day, but the entirety of our lives are directed towards the purposes and the kingdom and the glory of God. The Apostle James speaks of this idea of consistency in prayer. He says in James chapter 4, verse 2, he writes, You do not have because you do not ask. Then he says, You ask and do not receive. That sounds like the opposite of what Jesus is telling us. He says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're seeking your kingdom. And so your prayers, your insincere, inconsistent prayers are not being heard and not being answered because the purpose of your life is just your own kingdom, your own world, Jesus says. And our third verb for our simple prayers is to knock. To knock. Uh, Knocking is really just another type of asking, isn't it? Uh, To knock on a door is asking that the person inside would open the door. Uh, What this implies is persistency, right? To continue to knock on the door. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you, when you hear a knock on your front door and you peek out the window and you see it's the Jehovah's Witness and you go running, right? The other way. And you go hiding. And at least in my neighborhood, Jehovah's Witnesses are persistent in knocking on the door although they never get what they want, which is the door open to them. (laughs) Persistency here is what Jesus is teaching us with this idea of knocking. He tells a a parable or a story in in Luke chapter 11 in this same parallel passage when he's talking about prayer. And in Luke 11, uh, verses 5 to 9, he tells us about a friend who goes to another friend's house at midnight and asks for three loaves of bread because he just arrived on a journey. The one inside the house says, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But the guy on the outside stands there and continues to knock and to beat on the door. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or because of his persistence, because he won't stop knocking, the friend will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus continues in Luke, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened You You see, there's a difference between mounting up empty phrases to try to manipulate God, isn't there? Between that and a persistent knocking and praying the same prayer for the same thing over and over again. I wonder if you can think of the thing you've prayed for in your life longer than anything else. And you still haven't gotten an answer. Jesus' words tell us, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Some of you are about to give up on that prayer. Some of you maybe already have given up. And Jesus is calling you this morning to pick it back up. 
that God is on the other side of that door. He hears your knocking. It is your job not to control the future. It is your job not to tell God how he has to figure everything out, what his plan must be. Your job is a simple prayer. Knocking, seeking, and asking. It is so simple. It is so, we might say, it is so easy. But if it's so easy, then why is it also so hard? Why do we stop praying? Why do we have trouble seeking God above seeking the things of this world? Why do we, why are we tempted to give up our simple asking and try something else? There's a lot of reasons. I think one reason is that we begin to doubt that God really hears us. Can the God who loves us hear us pray the same prayer with literal tears on our face, awake in our bed in the middle of the night and not answer that prayer for years? Can we really, are we really supposed to believe that that God hears us? We begin to think that the door will never open. We begin to think we're never going to find what we seek. We begin to think that he's never going to give us what we ask for. And Jesus, knowing that, brings us to the truth of this passage. Our second heading, our second point, God's part. What does God bring? God brings secure promises. God brings secure promises. The word ask appears five times in these verses. Well, so does the word give. So does the word give as God responds to our asking. Our first two verses just have this logic. Ask and it will. Seek and you will. Knock and And it will. You see that it's just this logical progression. Uh, These are embedded in this verse promises of God. It's called in in our grammar the divine passive, right? You can't quite tell who's the one guaranteeing the promise of these verbs here, but it is God. It is God who will see that it comes to pass. And do you notice it looks like Jesus repeats himself in verse 8. There's actually a change because in verse 7, he's talking about the future. Look at the tense of verse 8. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And then in the final one, back to the future. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Why does Jesus emphasize the present tense here? He's showing us the, the certainty of these promises. It happens. God guarantees it. God promises not only that he hears, but he will and he does. Receive, give what you seek, and open the door to you. The question we have before us this morning is why? Why are those promises so secure? And the answer is because the Father secures them. How does Jesus attempt to assuage our doubts? He tells us of the fatherhood of God. Of all the truths Jesus could use right here to reassure you that your prayers are being heard, the one he chooses to use is the image of God as Father. Look at the illustration uh, he gives in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? What a ridiculous question, right? What father would give their kid a stone when they want a piece of bread? Now, this image, probably because... You know, a piece of bread could look like 
a smooth stone, right? So Jesus is kind of playing on this image. Or verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Some think fish may be uh, translated here eel, and so it might be two creatures that sort of look alike. Uh, In Luke's gospel, you'll remember that when Jesus tells us, he adds a third comparison. If a child asks for an egg, his father will give him a scorpion. Maybe a scorpion sort of rolled up looks like an egg. I'm not so sure. It's It's supposed to be these ridiculous questions. What kind of father would give these types of horrible gifts? I mean, these are practical jokes gone wrong, right? Uh, no father would do this. That's the obvious answer from these verses. Well, well, none of us would do this. And Jesus says, of course not. Even, and here's the point, even evil fathers give good gifts. Verse 11, if you then who are evil, like how he talks about those who are evil, he says you because that doesn't cover him, does it? You who are evil. Now, he's not talking about there being good fathers, decent fathers, not so decent fathers, and evil fathers. What he's talking about is any human in the fallen world described here as evil. It is under the curse of sin, where Paul will quote the Old Testament later when he says, no one is good, no, not one. He's saying earthly, fallen sinful fathers with mixed motivations who don't always do right and good by their children. Even evil fathers wouldn't give their kids such wicked gifts. So how, halfway through verse 11, how much more will your father give you? This is a question. Jesus wants his hearers to pause for a moment and say, well, if earthly fathers give what their kids ask them for, how much more will God give me? You notice Jesus doesn't tell us? It's like he's encouraging some sort of uh, holy imagination. How, how much? Oh, I don't know, Jesus. How much more could it be? Because the difference between an earthly evil father and a godly heavenly father is immense. And so what in the world might be the difference between those two sets of gifts? The Apostle Paul tries to answer that question in Ephesians 3 when he says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We can't even think how much more our Father hears and answers our prayers. See, here's the truth. Here is the truth. You don't have an evil father. You have a father who is in heaven. He is far from evil. He is only good. And he only does good. For some of you, this image of a good father is hard to process. Uh, You might have grown up without a dad. You might have grown up with not a very good father. You might have gone to your friend's house sometimes and thought... Man, I wish I had a dad like my friend's dad. Here is the truth for all those who trust in Christ. This is our father. He's not evil. He's not decent. He's not a little bit good. He's all the way good. He is all the way righteous. He is all the way holy. 
is who he is. He is our father who is in heaven. That's the first truth of a reality that Jesus gives us to encourage us to pray. Number one, you have a father who is in heaven. Number two, you have a father who gives good gifts. If evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask them? We cannot begin to comprehend the generosity of our God. It's not only that he hears us. It's that he gives good gifts. Y'all, do you know what kind of gifts we deserve? We deserve stones and snakes and scorpions. In fact, our original parents in the garden, they listened to the word of what? A snake, right? That's what we deserve and we read here that God not only doesn't give us what we deserve he gives good things he gives good gifts he gives us what is best for us doesn't he now some of you may be wondering many of you might ask what are these gifts I haven't seen them I didn't get that thing I've been asking for for so long we need to remember our context here our context is seeking the kingdom of heaven Our context is putting up our treasures in heaven. In Luke's gospel, when Luke writes about this, about Jesus' words, Jesus describes the good gifts as giving the Holy Spirit. Don't we know as we look back in time that God always gives what is best for us? That he always and only gives us good gifts? I mean, think of the things that we have just thanked God for this morning in prayer. As the Tannenbaum family went through the difficult news of the potential problem in their son and we prayed for them over and over again, did that feel in the moment like it was God's best gift for us? When our sister Mary was discouraged over and over again in her application and seeking to get to the mission field, were we as a church testifying at the goodness of God's gift in making her wait? And yet we can come this morning. I know all of you in your own lives can come and look back and say, God does give what is best for us. You know, any father knows that his kids can ask him for some pretty foolish things sometimes, right? And they can maybe in retrospect be glad that dad didn't give them those things that they wanted. But it went bad for him, unhealthy, dangerous, whatever it is. You see, even evil fathers give good gifts. How much does our Heavenly Father shower us with the generosity of only what is best for us? And yet, somewhat ironically, he invites us to continue to persist in asking him in prayer. That's how the section ends. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So keep asking. These are our truths to take home this week. These are our truths to put on our fridge, to put on our mirror, to put in our Bible, to put by our bedside table, to encourage us to pray that you have a Father who is in heaven. You have a Father who gives only good gifts. And you have a Father who invites you to ask Him. You see, we pray because our prayers are secured by our Father. As one author writes, the disciple could come to his father in full confidence 
of his willingness to respond. And if you still struggle with doubts, do you know who's preaching this? Do you know who's telling you about this God? It's not a stranger. No, it's his own son. It's his own son who may have appeared in his life that some of his prayers weren't quite answered. But Jesus tells us to continue to come to his and your father in prayer. What did Jesus do for us? He died to bring us to the father. We could say it simply. He died so that we can pray our father who is in heaven. Through Jesus, God's very own son, we as his children are made sons of the father. And therefore, we can and are invited to and have the privilege of praying, Abba, Father. You see, it's, as another author says, true prayer is based on a genuine relationship to the very person of God himself through the finished work of the Savior. So let's put this all back together as we close. God adopts us as his children in Christ. Because God adopts us by his grace and his mercy, we can call on him as our father. Now, there may be some of you here that don't know him. You might know him as the God of the Bible. You might know him as your parents' God. But here he is calling you to come through Jesus, through faith in Christ. And this very day, you will be made sons and daughters of the Father. And as his children, we have the assurance that he hears us. He says in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God loves to give good gifts. My mother is somebody else who loves to give good gifts. I remember one year as a child at Christmas my dad was opening his Christmas present from my mom, and any dad will recognize what's in a box. It's flat, it's about three or four inches wide. It's about this tall, right? Uh, any dad can guess what's going to be in that box. And my dad opened it, and the box was empty. Now, my mom has her act together, and so we as the kids were shocked that this box was empty. My mom runs out of the room, seemingly embarrassed, And then she comes back in with this beautiful leather jacket for my dad. (laughs) The best part wasn't the jacket. It was the gleam in my mom's eye. It was the smile on her face because she loves to give good gifts. How much more is the smile of our father in heaven who loves to give good gifts? So dear brother and sister in Christ, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you know the tenuousness of our prayers at times. You know that some days we get up and we labor with you in prayer, and other days we can't be bothered. And some days our confidence in your hearing is rock solid and other days it is thin as ice. Lord, we pray by your spirit you would apply the words of Jesus to our hearts today. We would rejoice, oh God. 
We would rejoice that we have been made sons and daughters, that we call you not God who is far off. We call you Father to whom we draw near. We'll draw all of us near to you this morning through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.